Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, I'm straight up giddy to talk with Kin Euphoric's Chief Euphoria Officer, Jen Batchelor, about her mission to transform the world's oldest social ritual, drinking, into a thoughtful act of taking better care of ourselves. Kin is a daily brain care ritual designed to help you connect to your center and find better balance. In this joyful podcast, we cover the art and science of euphoria and why most people are using the word incorrectly. We talk about the expanding category and why marketing Kin as a sobriety option is just scratching the surface of this product's amazing potential. We talk about how to take PR and supercharge it by getting the reporter to experience the mission and not just hear about it. You'll hear about how Kin connected to one of the world's top supermodels, Bella Hadid, and why this connection goes much deeper than just a regular influencer relationship, psychedelics, new tropics, what it means to be a psychonaut, all get mentioned for the first time in D2C history, so don't you dare miss it. It was a fun one. On with the show. I drew out this map of the pleasure spectrum as we see it. Think about pleasure at large and the different things that make the human experience pleasurable. There are moments of ecstasy that can be extremely pleasurable. On one side of the spectrum is this ecstasis moment. Think about blue lotus and like all of these fun things that you can play with, LSD. On the other end of the spectrum, there's Zen Buddhism, right? There's this Taoist approach of doing without doing. There's pleasure in that. And then somewhere in the middle, there's euphoria and euphorics the way that we see it. Hey, retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? That's probably because it does, and it shouldn't. Bluecore matches online shoppers with the products they'll buy next across channels like email, on-site, paid media, social, and SMS. With Bluecore's retail data and predictive intelligence, brands automate personalized content, offers, and recommendations for each individual shopper, enabling brands like Noble to increase conversions by 15% and drive a 46% increase in repeat buyers. Visit Bluecore.com to discover why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss chose Bluecore to automate and scale their multi-channel personalization. Welcome to the D2C Podcast. Jen, can you start with a little bit of a rundown as to the why of Kin Euphorics? First of all, why not? (laughs) Um, When we first were starting to formulate Euphorics, we were shocked that nothing like what we were creating had existed before. And I don't just say that in a hyperbolic way. I I really mean that, you know, over the course of 10,000 years, we have been sort of doing this social ritual of drinking uh, pretty much the same way. For, for eons. Um, and what I mean by that is we've taken every vegetable, uh, every organic matter literally under the sun and we've created, you know, fermented it down to, to make ethanol. And that's how we've they, been getting. They're saying even with humans, very early on, they thought that our straw houses, were, <laughs> the water runoff from straw houses was collecting in the, in the gutters and people were drinking that. And that was yes. what people think is like the very first thing we fermented. Yes, exactly. That totally makes sense. Or mead, right? Honey was also very uh, popular and uh, certainly was sort of relegated in the beginning to only royalty. And so you started to get some of these ingredients that were um, set aside and prized, right? So we literally put these ingredients up on a pedestal and even more so when they were in their elixir format where these gods and goddesses and leaders and Cleopatra and her lover Mark Anthony could then make very sound, elevated decisions by communing with the gods through this potion. So a lot of fun lore, a lot of interesting, you know, societal revolutions that came on the back of alcohol. So 
So no disrespect, <laughs> but a lot of, um, yeah, I was poking the bear a little bit in the beginning and, and I was shocked that, you know, no one had said, especially in the last hundred years with all of these advancements that we've had in science and biotech, it's like, wait a second. So what is actually happening to the brain when we introduce ethanol into the system? And can we replicate the good vibes right? The relaxation, the sense of camaraderie, you know, the illusion of coolness, um, arousal. How can we help the brain get there without destroying our skin, our liver, our brains, etc.? So that's the why. The why was just asking the question like, hey, can we do this a little bit better? Let's see. I feel like alcohol for so many people and probably for myself in the, the capacity that I use it is just such a default, right? It's just sort of like, okay, well, I've got a, I've got free time or I deserve this because I'm stressed out. There's, there's so many patterns that just sort of trend towards it. And it's most often out of default as, as opposed to something that I'm actively doing because I really want to, you know what I mean? So much so. And so much so. And that, and that was the big question at the beginning too. We, we were just content even just making happy hour drinks, because that moment is so critical to the development of, you know, for the evolution of the person, right? At that time, that four, five, 6 p.m. hour, that's when people want to naturally take a beat, relax a little bit. The way that we have socialized the happy hour occasion is that by default, to your point, alcohol is at the center of all of these, you know, gatherings. And so what we were saying was, wait a second, there's something really fascinating happening at this particular moment when the sun's about to go down, whether it's, you know, based on the circadian science, right, where our, our actual, you know, especially through the eyes, the way that we take in light signals to the brain, it's time to chill, it's time to take a beat, time to take stock of what we've heard, what we've accomplished today, and really, you know, take that, integrate it into our human experience and evolve and move forward. Often that's done really well with a nap. <laughs> I don't know many people that are napping at four or 5 p.m. every day. To integrate properly, no. Right. <laughs> and one thing I noticed about, about your marketing, I, I'm looking at, at your ad library right now, and obviously I want to get into this in a little bit about Q4 and, and Q1 probably being your Super Bowl in a lot of ways with the idea of dry January. But overall, your brand isn't really about substituting. It's not really about necessarily like, oh, you shouldn't do this. This is what you can do instead kind of thing. It's more it's more on the very positive side of the spectrum, which is just like, look at what's possible uh, in terms of euphoria through these products. And was that a conscious decision? Yes, 150%. Not only did we not want to say, hey, by the way, we're only for people who want to abstain from alcohol every second of every day, forever. <laughs> and you have to make this decision now if you haven't already made it for yourself. We realized that of the, you know, all the, the adults in North America of drinking age in the US, that's 21. I don't know in Canada. Is it 21 as well? Uh, 19 here. 19. Okay. So uh, according to the studies of the 100% of people that could drink legally, 43% of them weren't drinking and another 20% of them were questioning. Right. So the Sober Curious movement just started. I didn't have any interest in being anyone's mom in this. Everyone, at least the people we were serving, knew if they had an experience themselves, how horrendous a hangover can be, right? They had at least heard about it. Um, and so for me, especially being 
you know, living the lifestyle that I was living, to be frank, I, I also was sort of formulating for my own, you know, selfish desires, but also trying to to really solve for something I was personally going through and noticed a number of people I was living in and around in New York were, were living the same truth is that, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes I just want to break from the thing that hurt me the night before, right? So like if I've had a hangover, maybe I need to give myself a couple days, you know, and and regroup. Or um, if I'm with a client or on a first date, maybe I don't want to start that relationship out with, you know, five glasses of wine and saying things that I might regret. So again, it was really just about empowering people to design their nights how they want it and give them the choice to, to decide whether that includes alcohol or not. Um, so yeah, no need to spank anyone, no need to punish anyone or make them feel like shit for choosing it. Just wanting something, you know, wanting to give someone something that they should be proud to choose if they just so happen to not want to choose ethanol for that night. Can you talk to me a little bit about the, the science of euphoria? Like what, what actually goes into a little bit of the, 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 the physics of euphoria? Yes, I'm glad you asked. And it's probably worth just defining some terms here. So we're all on the same playing field. Um, In the 60s, um, we had something called the psychedelic movement, right? The peace and love movement um, that was brought on. A lot of people like to attribute it solely to the hippies. Not quite. A lot of this was brought on by uh, well-known professors uh, at Harvard and uh, otherwise, and also... um, people that had something to gain uh, from this experiment. But point being, we had this moment where everyone was sort of getting introduced to these uh, ingredients uh, and drugs at a given time. Now, what ended up happening from that experience was they were trying to use psychedelics in a controlled setting so that you could elicit a consistent response, if not something that could be uh, studied, right? And we all know psychedelics affect people generally in different ways. Now, euphoria as a word is something that's been in the English language since the 1700s. And you may be surprised to know that it has nothing to do with drugs and does not at all do a good job of describing the feeling that most people get when they're hallucinating or on some sort of psychedelic drug. It actually breaks down to mean, and its Greek origins, euphoros, uh, means to bear well within. And the first physicians that wrote about it in English were you know, family practitioners that were helping people recover from the flu or, or cold or something like that. A patient achieved euphoria after experiencing this herbal tincture or whatever it is that they were prescribing. Um, so euphoria very much meant getting better or feeling well, feeling like yourself again. And ecstasis or ecstasy, which breaks down to me being out of one's mind, is actually the better word to describe a psychedelic experience where you actually leave this plane or this ego first experience, right? So I just want to clarify that because it's really important to why we chose that word and that name to name our category of euphorics. We wanted people to feel so good getting back to self that it elicited a response, I feel euphoric, right? And that is totally 100% possible with the ingredients that are available in Kin today and other ingredients that we haven't tapped yet. Um, So what the science is saying is essentially twofold. Number one, when we think about mood, 
Mood comes from somewhere. It's not a magic fairy dust thing that just happens to us by accident. Sometimes it happens by accident because we just don't know exactly how our bodies work and that's okay. We're also still finding out as the top neuroscientists in the world will tell you, we're finding out every single day something new about the brain. So this is a really fascinating time to be learning about the brain, to be you know, working with our, with our brains as we discover more and more things and it becomes less of a mystery to us. That being said, where does mood come from? Mood very, very largely comes from not only our endocrine system and how that's operating, so our hormone balance, um, as well as the different levels of neurotransmitters that we have in our mind, right? And that comes, some some of it, it's a natural occurring store of neurotransmitters. That could be dopamine and serotonin. We all wake up with what should be a healthy store of these neurotransmitters innately. As many people know, we also have an endocannabinoid system that also uh, is related to mood. Even, even insulin, right? elicits a response or another, um, depending on how much you have in your system and how you relate to it. So I won't go super deep dive into how they all work together, but suffice it to say the way that we saw it was, okay, so at a given time during a social occasion, we can triangulate levels of serotonin dopamine because they're finite. So you have lower serotonin, typically lower dopamine, um, by four or 5 PM. We want to boost those up. We want you to feel because serotonin and dopamine are responsible for that feeling of bliss and euphoria, that feeling of like, oh, okay, I'm clear, I'm focused, I'm charming, I'm like in my zone. That feeling. Flow of- state is what I keep coming to. Is this is it similar? Totally. Is, this, is this euphoria related to flow state? It definitely is because essentially what you're trying to do is take this fight or flight response that we experience all day long. We're getting like a million emails a second to rest and digest, which is what happens when you finally take a load off, right? So you can't achieve flow state if you're stressed AF. You just cannot. No. And so it's two separate parts of and the brain. And that instinct to go to alcohol is, is that numbing instinct in a way, which is, again, not really what you want. There's a number of things that we all do, whether it's screens or pot or booze or whatever, that has that numbing impact on us. And that's mm-hmm. sort of like, that's that's what you could almost tell yourself you want, but it doesn't really serve you, I find. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, over time, it actually makes that feeling of wanting to numb, it makes that ever present. It also makes the actual thing that like makes you sort of like on edge, it makes that more pronounced after it wears off, right? So the difference between adaptogenic herbs, which we use and some of the nootropics and and other botanicals that we incorporate is that they actually very specifically target the nervous system so that it smooths out the nerves rather than quieting it. You know, it's the difference between like, covering your ears when there's like a death metal band happening. (laughs) Like you could still, it's still somewhere in the background, but you're sort of muffling it versus just slowly turning the music down, right? Like, because when you release your hands, you're going to hear that death metal really loud and much louder. You're actually going to perceive it louder than even before you covered your ears, right? So it's a simple sensorial exercise of thinking about, okay, how do we solve this stress anxiety thing at its core? versus solving for the symptoms so that later on you just need more alcohol to fix it. You know, um, that's the danger. And I thought our generation was ready for something that was actually evolved and intuitively sound versus that same yo-yo thing that like our past generation, you know, our ancestors were dealing with. And so describe the first the first days with Kin, because I know you were kind of in stealth mode for, for a while. Describe that process of getting these products ready and, and bringing them to market. Yeah, totally. So that was our, our goal was to really create something that we would ourselves stand in line for and, you know, wait at the bar for our drink to arrive. And, and so 
that required months and months and months of beta sampling. It required kind of throwing everything at the wall. We had our product development philosophy, but we didn't know exactly which one we would launch with first. So doing sort of boots on the ground, grassroots samplings, and really making sure that our guests and our early adopters were a part of that process was critical to us really being able to launch something we ourselves would drink and that we cared about. Um, otherwise we didn't see a need. You know what I mean? We, we weren't like in a position where we like had to spin this off. We weren't Pepsi being like, how do we stay relevant? We were just this like group of psychonauts and people that wanted something better. And so we, uh, we did that. I mean, we had 18, even to, to this date after we launched high road in December of 2018, we actually have iterated on that product about 18 times, um, directly from guest feedback. So it continues. (laughs) I'm just happy that someone finally used psychonaut on the podcast. I think that's oh, uh, an under, <laughs> underused term, and I knew it would be you. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, so you, you're formulating the products, and I like that you mentioned too. You sort of you had your product development philosophy, which means you had your brand story. You all, you know your story of of what you were trying to do, of what you were trying to accomplish was set in stone, and that's often like the most important thing. So, how did that brand story? Uh, benefit you in those early days? What was your first big win and and was it related to your story? Yes, 100%. The story was everything. And in fact, um, you know, being able to break the news on about Kin's existence um, was something that happened. It was was a bit of a serendipitous moment, but it happened through Vogue.com, which I was not expecting whatsoever. But I I had a really great conversation with their senior editor of culture. So their culture section, actually, before he was at Vogue, he was at Rolling Stone. So sitting down with him to give him that whole euphoria story was really interesting because he said, honey, I know euphoria. You know, I've toured with Metallica. I've been at, you know, I was Rolling Stone for 15 years. I've been around the euphoric block a time or two. And um, we had this whole philosophical discussion, which is, you know, again, I think more of a byproduct of drinking kin together than it is... (laughs) A typical Vogue uh, interview. Um, so Sneaky. Yes. That's a good <laughs> technique out there for people listening. Exactly. If you really want to go deep, <laughs> break out the kin. So, uh, so yeah, it was really fun to see him just come in guns blazing, total skeptic, and actually lay it out for him the way that we saw it. You know, in this, I, I drew out this map of the pleasure spectrum as we see it, right? Where you you have, think about pleasure at large and, and the different things that make the human experience pleasurable. There are moments of ecstasy that can be extremely pleasurable, especially if you take that back and you do something great with it. So on one side of the spectrum is this ecstasis moment where you can think about, you know, blue lotus and like all of these fun things that you can play with, LSD. On the other end of the spectrum, there's Zen Buddhism, right? There's there's this Taoist approach of doing without doing. There's pleasure in that. And then somewhere in the middle, probably a little right-leaning, but somewhere in the middle, there's euphoria and euphorics the way that we see it as being pleasurable, right? So this is all active. And so I was telling him this story and we were discussing throughout that, you know, where the social experiences come because some of these experiences can be, are better left you know, as solo adventures and some are better social. And that's the thing that I was most connected to in the work. And so telling him this story, he went out and went and tried and experienced that by himself. So he left that interview, went straight into a music lesson. We had his headphones on. He was riffing and playing music. He said the music felt better in his ears. I mean, everything about the experience made him feel 
just completely present to the moment. And then he went and he had some with his wife and, you know, it just ended up being this really beautiful experiment that he understood could go from solo to social and uh, really enhance his, his experience. And so he told that story firsthand. I'm just lucky enough that he is like a protege. He's, he was, uh, he's an understudy of Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, wow. Which is insane. <laughs> he knows his euphoria. Yes. So the piece speaks very specifically to that, you know, that sort of vantage and, uh, and it ended up being a huge boon. And we continue to tell a, ver- a ver- version of that story as we, you know, now three years later, but really taking into account the guests that have shared their, their myriad stories. I mean, for every, you know, a hundred thousand people who have graced our, our virtual doors, every single one of them has an incredible story. Um, and PR is one thing, but PR where you can actually take someone on a journey that, that, you know, that reinforces the journey that you're speaking about. Like that's, that's just, you can't beat that. And every time I talk to anyone about PR, uh, or podcast advertising or any of these, it all depends on how honest the read is, how honest the writing is. And, and to be able to send someone on a journey like that, like you're only going to get you know, such high quality content out of that. Have you, have you leveraged that particular piece in other ways? Have you built that into landing pages? Have you done things to leverage PR in your, in your advertising specifically? So early on, we started just sharing that particular article out, um, through the paid ecosystem and we wouldn't even link back to our site. We just like put that on blast. Cause it was just so, in my opinion, it was, it wasn't just good you know, press for Ken, it was great storytelling. So I'm like, oh, this will delight anyone. <laughs> and if they're brave enough to try it, they will. And and that worked. I mean, we had people buying our product three bottles at a time, right? We had a special, I remember now we, we ran a three bottle $99 special and uh, people were buying those up in droves and they had never even touched the product, tasted it, seen it in the wild. They were just hearing from this story. Um, so yeah, it was supremely powerful. And I think now going forward, music is really a big tenant of, of our brand. And so being able to triple triple down on, on that offering and, and connect with some of our bigger fans, um, I think is really important. I think that, that that was something that I took away from this research, this idea of euphoria related to audio sensations, music, related to the, the, the elements that you have in your drinks, but also just even in the flavors and how so much of, of, of what our mood is can be based on, on actually experiencing things or, or feeling things, touching things, tasting things for real. I thought that was an interesting aspect of, of the product as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big factor. And, and it, it does come from, you know, I, I can't take any credit for that. The, the Vedic school of thought, um, and the school of medicine that I, that I had the privilege to attend learning about how to think about ingredients really as another switch on your switchboard, right? Another opportunity to sort of bring this down or bring that up, right. And sort of centering the mind and focusing the mind on what you really desire, which in this case, and for every single person who comes to Kin, is to take the edge off, have fun, you know, without regret. What we you know, all these things that people tell us all the time. So, a lot of the ingredients that we put in, even from a flavor standpoint, to your to your point, is in order to triangulate that sense of chill, that sense of bliss. Like I don't think you'll find a product that Kin makes that is overly spiced or, you know, with a kick of cayenne or anything like we're not trying to be provocative. We're trying to help you get to base camp, you know, in your mind so that you can go and then like do whatever it is that you want to do. We have a lot of people that 
especially in California, that they eat or drink or smoke cannabis before, you know, while they're out, but they won't ever be out without a can of can spritz in their hands because they understand that those ingredients are meant to keep them sort of feet on the ground while their head is afloat. Um, So people have figured out that you can really pair these ingredients with other experiences as well. Let's talk a little bit about Bella Hadid and how that situation came around and what impact it's had on the business. Yeah, for sure. Um, So Bella's been in the business now a little over a year. Um, She came to us and more accurately so her the head of her management team, Ari Emanuel, um, gave us a ring in October of 2019 now, uh, no, 2020. And um, he's like, hey, <laughs> I have, uh, you know, one of our top tier talent wants to get involved with the brand. You know, I don't know if you guys are looking for celebrity um, endorsement or support in any way, but she's actually been a customer of yours. And I'm like, I know she's like, she's actually been a huge spritz fan since 2019 when we launched that product. Um, so it was really exciting to have her come to the table, not only with her enthusiasm, but a lot of great ideas and a ton of knowledge on the ingredients. I think that's what floored me and made it sort of a match made in heaven when we first met. Um, because I was blown away by the fact that she had had, you know, Lyme disease and she had struggled and, and, you know, had been incorporating supplements into her routine since she was 14 years old. And as you can imagine, you know, it gets to the point where you're like 30 pills a day. I think I'm good. <laughs> That's a bit excessive. Um, I'm tapping out of this routine. And so Ken in that sense was a godsend for her. And she wanted to bring this to more people, which I saw in, in her eyes and um, her heart was genuine. And it's, and you know, so she's been super active in the business. We announced in September she really acts as like our chief innovation officer and is right alongside me with product development, our merch line, a lot of things that we have in the works right now. And her social channels have become an integral part of your your influencer platform as well? Definitely. Her social platforms, her friends' social platforms. I mean, she's done an amazing job of making sure that her, her community is fully stocked with the product and helping us tell the story in a dynamic way. So that's been good. A lot more to come on that front too, because we've just released our... Um, our brain trust. So we're slowly uh, releasing the names of, of the scientific advisors that are on board with us. And they're starting to develop a lot more content alongside Bella and myself on occasion, which is fun. Um, but yeah, so everyone from like Dr. Amen, who Dr. Daniel Amen, who's an incredible psychiatrist, he works with some neuroscientists that help him to sort of develop protocols and, and um, different things around supporting the brain. And uh, Dr. Darshan Shah, who's amazing, Dr. Roshini Raj, who's a gastroenterologist. So really, all of the folks that really helped us to make sure that Kin was as scientifically sound as it was tasty and fun. Between the 51% decrease in foot traffic, surges in e-commerce, and new customer behaviors, big changes are coming to retail in 2022, and staying ahead of the curve can help make the new year a successful one. Lexer is a CDP that helps marketers know their customers, inspiring them to create experiences that grow sales. In Lexer's guide, How to Prepare for Retail's Future, you'll gain insight into rising e-commerce trends, shifting customer behaviors, and new segmentation strategies to better understand your customer needs and drive profits in 2022. Visit lexer.io slash podcast for the free guide. 
we're at such a good time for all this. There's so much thinking that's going into, you know, the quantum self. I, I was ju I just read recently the brain that changes itself. Uh, and there's there's so much in interesting stuff around this. And we're also at this really interesting time where COVID has like made everyone kind of reassess the way they live in some ways. And I, I, I wanted to just ask, like, how has the timing of the global pandemic played into kin? It's been really interesting because I think in order to make it really easy for the world to understand why we existed and, and what we're about, we came on the scene in early 2019, end of 2018, as an alcohol alternative, really as this new thing. And so very much, you know, the conversation around like kin at the bar, really sexy cocktails and like things like this that we were creating, this brand positioning image. Um, was very specific to nightlife and it worked really well for us. And then the pandemic hit and socializing as we knew it, like, first of all, went bye-bye. Like there was no socializing, if you recall, <laughs> for so a there. while. Yeah, exactly. And we're still sort of like, oh, Vax card, not Vax card, where can I go? And so I think for us, it's been amazing to see just the guests that have made the product their own and seen it for what it really is and, and realize that, wow, like, I want to feel like this, you know, kin spritz makes me feel like focused and relaxed or, you know, have clear minded energy. Like I want to feel like that at work. I want to feel like that while, you know, I'm in this weird limbo of working from where I play, from where I sleep, you know, with that, it's allowed our guests to become a lot more experimental with the product. Um, and then we've also seen the use cases and occasions throughout the day just like completely explode which is exciting because no one was waiting for 4 p.m. to crack open a kin spritz or even a light wave. They were just going for it. So that's been really fun. And the requests that we're getting are really interesting. To your point, I think people are just becoming a lot more educated in what they're putting in their body, how that's making them feel, how that's helping them optimize in one way or another. And we're here for it. You know, we have 30 more products we want to release in the next 10 years. So I imagine education is a huge focus for, for the brand because there's a lot of people like people are opening up to this, but there's probably a huge segment of the population that doesn't even know that they have the power over over these these pleasure sensors and things like that. So I'm just wondering, like, what, what have been the most effective things you've done on the education side of the business to bring people in? You know, I think we do a great job. We talk a lot about brain care as a tenant of our company, and that's a new term for many people. And the idea that oh, you had to be severely mentally ill or really depressed before you went and sought out mental health, you know, whether it was therapy or, you know, any kind of mental health treatment. And we thought that was a really big shame. I mean, we all need to be nourishing our brains for not just reasons of mood, but for, you know, to be able to compute better, right? To, to come up with ideas better, to connect with your partner deeper. Like there are just so many reasons to help the brain stays in tip-top shape. And so when we think about brain care, it's really returning to folks an opportunity to think about this and, and really to support their brains as an organ, as, a, as one of the most important things that we use every single day to make decisions and to really be who we are. Um, so really leaning into that daily ritual piece uh, from an education standpoint was really critical. Speaking to and demystifying nootropics was also really beneficial for our audience. You know, before we came on the scene, nootropics, which are just, you know, cognitive enhancing supplements, they're vitamins for your mind. Um, they were really relegated mostly to Silicon Valley and, you know, the biohacking types, um, which as you can 
well, imagine 90, 95% of that audience is male or masculine. So, um, we wanted to give something for the rest of the world and, and not, you know, by any means isolate men, but actually say to men too, like, Hey, by the way, why aren't you drinking this at the bar? If you swear by it at work, go and socialize and have fun with it as well. And so that really worked for us as well. I wanted to ask a little bit about the gender breakdown of the brand. Uh, you know, with the Vogue editor being male, Bella probably has a well, probably a, an even mix to some degree. But where where is the brand right now in terms of gender? And do you change the way you speak about the product at all depending on the gender? Yes, definitely. And I will say this full disclaimer for my gender fluid fam. Um, we are speaking strictly in DTC terms because Google still ha- does not recognize gender fluidity and. <laughs> we got to go by the data. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so yep. we'll we'll say that. Um, it is to, to us too frustrating because we do see a lot of, you know, the, what I didn't anticipate launching this company is that the LGBTQ plus community really does benefit from our product because it's sexy enough to take to a party. And because that community recognizes that where alcohol and drugs come into play is really as a way to lower inhibitions and to, you know, create more opportunity for them to explore their sexuality. Kin helps you do that as well. So I think for us, it was an opportunity to like really make sure when we are speaking t- to our broader audience that we're not necessarily, you know, just speaking to Betty Lou in the corner who has a very specific, very predictable, probably very profitable um, targeting strategy um, that will lead to trillions of conversions, but really to say, hey, this is for everyone. This is a really inclusive product by design because we want to understand, we want to make make sure this offering is available to anyone who's going to use it in any way. And in that, it's kind of for us a sneaky science experiment by saying like, look, this literally is created. This was created so that we could make true cultural change. We want this brand to outlive us all. Now, after that messaging got out there, who came to the table? I mean, it was definitely skewed female i would say at the at the height it was like 65 percent uh female 40 45 percent male that being said when you look at our loyalty numbers and our subscription numbers it is actually more like 50 50 which is kind of crazy so the people coming back are are split um bella i thought when she joined we were gonna get a crazy skew towards female um just because it's like oh i want you know i want what bella's drinking um but at the end of the day, she actually increased our male audience by 5%. So that was pretty crazy. So now we're closer to, um, you know, to that 60, 40 mark. Sorry, I misspoke earlier, 65, 35. So we're closer to 60, 40. Again, loyalists, we're, we're bridging a, a closer gap there on, um, on 55, more like 55% female. Um, so pretty evenly split. I'm, I'm, I'm still surprised. I thought we were always sort of skewing because we were leading into sort of that romance of the cocktail and, and really being a little bit more sensual, I thought we would skew female, but not necessarily the case. Men deserve euphoria too. I love to hear it. Amen. Um, <laughs> we've talked so much about the groundswell and, and all of the, the all of the organic efforts, the, the earned media that you've leveraged, the amazing brand partnerships that you've made. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the paid side. And and obviously what we find uh, you know in this podcast is the people that put all this attention into the organic piece, into their brand story, into all these great relationships – it's really like standing on the shoulders of giants a little bit when it comes time for the paid side of things. Can you talk a little bit about your your paid marketing philosophy and, and sort of what's working best in that world right now? Yeah, definitely. And it was a big blow to our system just because like, you know, after being, we're a digitally native brand as opposed to a lot of the brands that came on the scene 
anew during the pandemic, right? So we launched online and then we just like devoted our entire lives to our e-com business um, starting in 2018. So with that, we had a really good history under our belt of understanding where our guests were playing, what they liked, how to reach them with interesting little tidbits and not always be hitting them over the head with promotions. And I think that was a big deal for us going into, you know, even 2020, um, pre pandemic and pre what we know now. Um, but then of course the iOS update took place and shook us a little bit and, and, uh, you know, we were getting really exceptionally good at retargeting too, which, um, you know, required us to sort of think a little bit more creatively. The blessing that I, I don't know how to, I don't even know if this counts as a tip because I don't know how to teach people how to get here. Um, but having a strong organic presence with Bella obviously helped a lot. I think being able to have, you know, content and storytelling that was, that we were sort of forced into also because we needed to expand our audience, you know, of the 40 six some odd million followers that she has 80% of those folks are under the age of 25. So I knew we would have to put out new content and fresh content out there to capture their hearts and minds and to, to really be able to give them what they were looking for. That particular audience also really cares about the social impact story. They care about the educational aspects. They care about a lot of things that our legacy audience either inherently knows or already appreciates to be true of kin. Maybe that's because we had a lot of really good press early on. So we're starting to bridge the gap here with um, with Bella and then also really making sure that on the paid side, um, you know, we are doing our diligence on the segmentation front and we're just holding it down as hard as we can on search, search and SEO, because, you know, there are grumblings about Kin in almost every pocket of the Internet, whether it's gamers or Reddit or, you know, wherever. Um, so to capture those folks becomes just an art of reaching them with the message, with the right message at the right time, um, which is really the billion dollar question for any growth marketer, right? Where are the people? And you have so, I'm just on your ad library and you're, you have so many different looks at the product, so many different angles running. Um, the ones that I'm, that I'm drawn to are the, the, the ones where you talk about benefits. And, and I was wondering if that's a challenge with, with your business, because I know benefits can be such a tricky thing advertising on Facebook or any of these platforms. H how have you sort of figured out what you're allowed to say and what you feel comfortable saying? Has, has that been a challenge? No, not really. I mean, look, like we were really versed from the start as to, you know, what benefits we can speak to, how to speak to them um, in a way that wasn't misleading, but also really told the stories that our guests were telling us, you know, I mean, these are real stories. And, and, and truth be told, there are also real experiences that we've had with the product. So telling that um, has been interesting. And, and to your point, we, we do pull in a lot of like guest testimonial when we mention ingredients and we, when we mention benefits, um, we also speak to things like kind of lightheartedly, like we'll say, Oh, L-theanine, citicoline, tyrosine. And then we'll say, it's like brain candy for adults, <laughs> you know, go and enjoy this thing. That's going to tickle your bliss molecules. And people are like, okay, I can get down with that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your email and SMS side. This is something that we increasingly see, uh, as especially since I was 14, uh, people putting a ton of focus onto that side of things. What are some of the ways you're kind of innovating on that side? Yeah, which by the way, your newsletter has served as an inspiration for us as well, just going into best practices on email. Um, you know, we have an untapped, super, super engaged audience on email and SMS. Um, 
the challenge remains not being overly promotional with them and hitting them with the right message in the right order. So I've really looked at our welcome series, you know, when somebody first signs up for email, how are they getting brought into the deeper folds of the brand? Um, and then after, outside of that, how are we hitting them with relevant messaging for the season, whether it's speaking to a specific ingredient that is more beneficial during the winter or, you know, literally something is happening that day that we want to message out um, and we'll leverage text for that, you know, whether it is a promotion or something new that's happening in our world. So that's those are two levers that we definitely pull for more, mostly for storytelling. Um, it's gotten a bit more promotional as of late, given the holiday and everything. And then the other thing that we do that email and SMS are a critical component of is we have a beta taster group, which is essentially made up of our, our VIPs and our subscribers. But as we release new product and we have new product ready to be tasted, we actually do ship out that product to guests and then we leverage email on a whole separate flow um, to help give feedback and name the product and really get really involved. This isn't your brain trust, but this is sort of like the, this is your closest customers that you, that you use for research. That's super smart. Very cool. And tell me about the brain trust again. The brain trust is a new, is a sort of effort to bring on, because um, obviously selling products where there is a doctor attached for whatever reason, or scientific minds, four out of five dentists recommend, this is, you know, one of the oldest uh, techniques in, in the books. Can you talk a little bit more about your brain trust? Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, there are just so many people that are interested in the how of euphoria, right? And when we talk about this benefit versus the other, this, this feeling versus the other, um, how it works and what makes Kin valid in that sense. And I think um, the guest testimonial is validating in and of itself. But then when you get to hear one of these scientists, these psychiatrists, surgeons, whomever has come to the table, really wax poetic on it and speak to how it works and prove. So we just, for example, had Dr. Amen present Bella's brain scans. So he literally took a PET scan of her, of her brain in uh, 120 days ago and then just now the la in the last week and then we're going to do one again in 30 days and we're going to show the improvement and he was able to show her her frontal lobe is actually healing over that is super interesting you talk about you want transparency in your relationship with partners and influencers but rarely does it go to the level of pet scanning exactly exactly and she's like not afraid at all for anyone to see how you know he's like oh my gosh when i saw her brain he's like i i knew we had work to do and um she's sitting there like yeah and we did the work you know she's super proud that um you know and especially she's just excited that if this information could help one person and create, as he calls it, brain envy, this aspirational aspect of wanting to nurture our brains, then she will have, you know, her work is done and it really is. So the brain trust is there really twofold. So it's made up of doctors, herbalists, folks that have like been with me from the start that sort of helped to advise on the formulations that, you know, weighed in on methylated versus not methylated. How do we create the most bioabsorption? What do we mean when we say this mood? What do we mean when we say recreation? How does that impact dosing? All of the things, all of the considerations that went into creating the product had a doctor or a scientist associated with that aspect of it. And, and you'd be surprised with how many people can be involved in the deciding factors of how a drink is supposed to make you feel and how to make it as safe as possible. So, so the brain trust has some of those folks that have been in direct relationship with the formulations that we have. And then also some new folks who have come in and sort of raised their hand and said, 
hey, I've actually been giving my patients your product for the last year and a half, and here are the results. Um, and so those are the, the folks that we're speaking to now. In the pre-interview, I remember saying that you're not aiming small when you're when you're really aiming to sort of change people's concept of pleasure and kind of euphoria in the world. W- what are your goals in, in 2022 and beyond? How big can kin euphorics get? Mm, it's such a great question. I, and I will say, and maybe this this gives you an answer through implication, but the idea that Coca-Cola itself started as a brain tonic not a lot of people know this. Yeah, yeah. So even before, even before it had coca in it, it had a number of like nootropic benefits. It had a number of like you know, it was actually made by a pharmacist who was trying to help himself wean off morphine. So it was a temperance drink, and then he added coke, and he realized that wow, I feel energized and I feel smarter than anyone. (laughs) And it literally was positioned as like the drink that makes you smart. And then Coca Cola got tans on it. He actually died unfortunately three years later. Coke got its its uh, paws on it as a as a corporation, bottling corporation, and they decided to bottle this for the masses. At which point they needed to clean up their act a little bit and add add more sugar. So I don't want to be in that position ever where we have to dilute our formula. So I'm starting from that place of wanting to make it so that it's copacetic for the world to enjoy and clean and, and toxin free. But I definitely think kin can get that big. That's that's the hope. The hope is that this brand outlives us all because our kids deserve it and future generations deserve it. It reminded me of an article I read from a Twitter link. It was basically saying that the way we drink soda now, like we don't realize that there was actually when soda first came out, it was this huge global phenomenon. And and especially in the United States, there were just giant like buildings dedicated to serving people soda. And it was an actual, like it was a real social experience way back in the day and not just a can that you have in your fridge, but there were, there were soda fountains, you know, in every major city. And it was a big part of the culture. I wonder if we can return to something like that. That's the hope. And that's, that is like when you see kid in the wild, the experiential aspect of our brand is so important because we want to return that like whimsy that fantasy that like excitement of oh my gosh there's this flavor there's this like feeling that i can try that ritual is really important and it helps people like come together you know and and marvel i I think that's one of the things that we were doing really really well pre-pandemic we had a social gathering house you know we had a, a a little bungalow in in um west hollywood in california that actually gathered you know Every week we had about a thousand people come through those doors every single week with comedians, headlining shows and musicians and cool panels with Parsley Health. I mean, there were so many cool things happening and people would look around and be like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm vibing. There's so many cool things happening around here and there's not a single drop of alcohol or any drugs around. And so what's that about? Like, what does it mean for us to come into a space and understand and actually perceive a level of consciousness we haven't perceived in a social gathering outside of this, of these four walls. And it's not square. You know what I mean? I'm not, nobody's like pressuring you to do anything. No one's like, everybody came of their own volition, but it's a good time. And I think that's what shocked a lot of people is that in that moment that we walked away and they're like, oh my God, I just had a really good time. And I thought I was going to really need that glass of wine in my hand, (laughs) you know? It's so interesting. And I think so much, I, like I've done dry Januaries and things like that. And, and when you go out and you're around other people in social situations, you kind of realize that a lot of it is the high that you get from just being around people in social situations. And I think a lot of people assume that it's the alcohol that's doing it. But it's, you know, when, when you're around, even if you're around a bunch of people who are drinking, you kind of get on the same wavelength in some ways, you know what I mean? 
Yes, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we named the company kin. Cause it's that moment where you're like sitting at the bar somewhere and you're like, Oh my gosh, is this like, where's this person been all my life? They're hilarious. They're this, whatever it is that you need in that moment, that person is like a medicine to you and they become a hair above friends and a, you know, a shade below family. There's somewhere in between where you're like, that's my person. Um, that's such a cool moment when you're out socializing with someone that doesn't happen at work. It doesn't happen at home necessarily. Like that's like how you continue to build your tribe. And just cause it's a buzzword that we t- we're talking about a lot in 2022, whether it's web three or NFT or the metaverse, are these ideas like, you know, when you have such an experiential product, I'm curious whether those kinds of things enter your, your thought path for, for the next five years. Yes, 100%. And I think our our audience is sort of expecting it from us because we've always been the one to like poke the bear first or try something sort of futuristic on for size. Um, I think our challenge is like doing it in a way that is actually supportive of the story, right? That's not like, oh, Ken's over here doing an NFT just for the shit of it. And like, we don't want to be that brand. Um, no, and there's going to be so many of those brands who just do <laughs> it know. to say it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's it's like, you know, we get asked the same thing about cannabis. Like, when are you guys going to start incorporating other ingredients? And, you know, I think for us, it's never it's never meant to be gratuitous. There's nothing off the table, but it just has to add value to the guest experience. Okay, our canned question here, if we were to give you a $50,000 grant that you don't have to pay back to use in your marketing to grow the business, where would you put it today? I mean, would $50,000 get us on to like NASA, the next NASA? No. (laughs) If it has to do with NASA, you're not talking five figures, I don't think. (laughs) Damn. All right, $50,000. Wouldn't stretch that far, but that's, if I had some extra cash, I think I would definitely want to get Ken into space. Um, Maybe I take the 50 and invest it in NFTs and then that'll yield enough money to get me into space. It shows you where you're, so you personally want to go to space or you want Kin to be in space to make a a high pun? Kin first. Kin, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Okay, very cool. super highway. Yeah. Amazing. Any other D2C (laughs) brands that you'd want to shout out as, as brands that you really follow that you love personally for either their marketing or their products? Oh yeah. Such a great question. Um, who am I loving as of late? I love um, a brand that has been a- around for a little while, but she's really, I think, just really coming into her own and expanding her line a lot. Um, it's called Wonder Valley. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. So what I love about it is that it's like, it's basically saying, look, and they're similar a little bit to Kin in that they keep a super high standard for sure, just in terms of how we think about our offerings. Um, I think their stuff is a lot more bespoke than Kins, which I'm jealous of, but also the idea that they're basically saying, look, you always thought of olive oil in this way. Let me show you the hundred other ways that olive oil can change your life. And so the tag of the brand is basically the magic of olive oil. And there's no hard and fast rule of how they're doing. And it's not only for dressings. They literally make beauty products and soaps and all of these cool things. And I just think they're doing a bang up job. So I love those guys. And uh, yeah, what's another one I've been using a lot? I love soft services. I guess that's another beauty play, but that's another cool brand that you guys should chat with. Um, They're just doing things their own way. They're really leveraging UGC in a cool way as well to build their brand. Um, And they're changing the game. I think a really, really interesting contender in terms of what the future of clean beauty looks like. 
Love it. Well, I'll have to hit you up for an intro there because they sound like a perfect uh, guest for the podcast. I want to thank you so much for coming on today and educating me about the about euphoria and, and what's possible. I'm looking forward to a an amazing 2022. I'm going to get my hands on some Kin Euphorics and see, see if it can play a part. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Eric, so much for having me. It was such a pleasure chatting with you and just getting to be weird. Every time we tell our story, I feel like for the most part, people just want to hear like, the beginning and the end and and you know given that you know so much about the category and how nuanced it is i think to run an e-com business today uh, it was it was fun to dig in with you thank you so much thanks so much for listening to today's episode if you're not a subscriber to our newsletter you can do that right now at direct to consumer all one word dot co i'm eric dick and this has been the d2c podcast we'll see you next time